0: Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. We're continuing our series called The Games People Play. This week's message is by Rod Pepin. Welcome to Salem Alliance. Uh, my name is Rod. I'm the outreach pastor. But the more important thing is you can bring those fruit snacks forward and get those going. I know people are looking forward to that. If you are new, we are in our family gathering series, which uh, for the summer, the kids are in here with us worshiping together, um, and so we do fruit snacks and there's uh, things to color on, and so uh, let the kids enjoy themselves, should be good. As you can see behind us with the decorations, we're, we're in a series called Games People Play. We're talking about the different games uh, that maybe you play together together, Uh, And so this morning, we are dealing with the game of Monopoly. How many of you have ever played the game Monopoly? Not surprising. One of the most popular games ever uh, across the world. This may surprise you, but uh, 270 million games have been sold of Monopoly. Right? It's been uh, translated into 75 languages. Does anybody know where the original Monopoly game pieces were uh, created from what city? I know there's lots of different. Atlantic City. So Atlantic City was where it was created. The creator uh, loved to vacation in Atlantic City. In fact, you can buy Monopoly of almost any city nowadays. I'm sure there's probably a Portland version where all of the names are of those cities. But, but the, the concept is the same. Buy as much as you can as quick as you can. Gather enough so you can build homes and houses and the rent gets so expensive that you get to bankrupt the rest of the players. It's a loving game. Um, I've learned, we've learned in our house that if you're too nice in Monopoly and you let too many people slide, you never win. It's the ruthless ones that win. It's all about amassing stuff. Here was a great quick Monopoly story in World War II, uh, the British created a monopoly game, uh, and they went to the Germans and they said, Part of the Geneva Convention is you have to take care of prisoners, so would you mind uh, distributing monopoly to the prisoners? And they said, No problem. And so, what the Germans did was they created a game where the money was actual money German and um, English money and pounds, and then one of the game's pieces was a compass. And hidden in the game was a silk map, uh, and it was accredited that thousands and thousands and thousands of the Air Force that got shot down over Germany escaped because of the game. Now, they told the the soldiers in... in uh, They they told the British soldiers that when you get the game, you have to destroy it so the Germans don't know. So we don't even have a copy of the game to show you or look at uh, because all of the games were destroyed. But just an interesting Monopoly fact. How many of us play Monopoly in our everyday lives? Where we amass as much as we can as quick as we can. So this morning, we're going to talk about the subject of money. Everybody's favorite subject to talk about. Now, before you tune me out, I just want to say this as as one of your pastors, we want something for you, not something from you. I'm not going to pass the offering again. Just relax. And I know some of you maybe are new and you're sitting there and going, Man, the last time I was here, they talked about money. If the last time you were here, they talked about money, you're not coming enough. I'm just saying, we don't, we don't necessarily speak from the front a lot about money, but which is an interesting thing. You would say, well, the Bible probably has more to say about every other subject than money. Think about this. Half of the parables that Jesus taught out about were about our possessions. One in every seven verses in the Bible is about money. The Bible offers 500 verses on prayer, 500 verses on faith, 2,000 verses when it comes to possessions. 15% of everything Jesus spoke about was money. That is more than his uh, teaching on heaven and hell combined. Why does the Bible spend so much time talking about your stuff and my stuff? Because there is a significant link Between our spiritual lives and how we view and handle money. There just is. Now, some of you may be going, Rod, I get it, but it's so tough nowadays, right? I mean, there's the iWatch, there's Madden 15, there's like everywhere we turn, people want our money. Like, I'm sure if I lived 500 years ago, it would have been so much easier. If I was, you know, if I lived in in not such a consumer age, it would be easy. 500 years ago, Martin Luther said this. There are three conversions a person needs to experience. The conver- conversion of the head, the conversion of the heart, and the conversion of the pocketbook. Nothing new under the sun, right? Somehow, money is important, right? this We care so much about this stuff. Now, why? Why is this paper so important? Well, I always feel like I'm going to fold it up and make it disappear. Okay, so we look at this, and it's actually not paper, right? It's linen. Um, but this is really important to us. In fact, if I were to do that, I know. In fact, uh, last night somebody screamed, no, don't do that. So we don't really care about this. What we care about is getting enough of this to get the things that we trade this for things that matter to us. So we know what matters to us by what we spend our money on, right? Uh, most of us spend money on housing because uh, shelter is important to us. Many of you are health conscious and health is important. So you may buy a gym membership or, or running shoes or spend money, um, you know, on, on that kind of stuff, and cars, entertainment. Uh, great example, when I lived in Alaska and the Seahawks were a really bad team, You couldn't, they just didn't show them nationally. And so, because I wasn't in the Seattle area, I never got to see Seattle games. So, I saved my money and I bought the direct TV football package so I could watch the Seahawks. There's something I value. So, I spent my money on things I value. Food, I love food. I mean, I just do. I'm telling you, you know, lettuce wraps at P.F. Chang's, Wallery's Pizza, you know, Christo's has a great salad, right? I could, I, I, so I spend money on food, in and out Burger, whenever I'm out of town, I get that. The Blue Ribbon lettuce-wrapped burger at Red Robin, I could go on and on. People spend a lot of money on food because it's what they value. Now, you know what else people really like is candy, But I'll tell you this, just like me, for you, there are candies that you love and candies that you hate. Let me give you an example of some of the candies that I hate. I hate Nico wafers. Do you know what these are? Yeah, right, ew, who likes these things? You guys like these things? You want to catch one? I apologize if I get you down there. Oh. There, you got it. You got it. Okay. Who else likes it? Oh, now all of a sudden hands go up. Yeah, absolutely. Coming to you. Right over here. Oh, I see you back there, right here. One and two. Sorry if I hit you with those. Over there, guy. Where, where, over where? Oh, up there. Okay. One more throwin', it's gonna get me in trouble. Sorry if I rained Miko's on ya, okay. Let's do this, what's another thing I can't stand? Twizzlers. Do you guys actually, okay so listen, this is cough syrup flavored candy. Come on down here. Come on down here. Absolutely. Come on. There you go. I know you wanted both of them, but you only get one. Okay. So the next thing that I can't stand, I had to special order. Yeah, I know. I I can't throw that far all the time. So, so here I, I had to special order these. So if you like these, this is your shot. Now I know a lot of people actually like these very stale. You can't find them year round, fresh from the factory peeps. I don't know how, don't know how you guys like them. Come get them if you want them, I got four of them. Come on down. Okay, okay. don't worry I got this figured out we went through last night and I had a lot of crying kids so I've got this figured out believe me things that I love candy I love bit of honey you guys like bit of honey? these I could probably toss out kind of like a carnival anybody wants them they're in the aisles right? you guys can get them get the candy you can love them here okay wait right there okay you just wait just stay right there stay right there the next thing that I love are candy bars anything of a candy bar you guys like I got three musketeers and I got milky ways here you want one just pick one yeah take one I can't I don't think I can make them up there you come down come down the balcony over here I'll give you some candy here you go I know dude okay wait we're gonna throw those up there okay so okay just wait hey you guys don't even have to sit down wait right there i'll tell you the last thing i love last night we did this i didn't realize how much the kids were going to get into it i had half the crying kids so i went to winco this morning or last night and bought them out of a certain kind of candy so one of the things i love more than anything and i love this in ice cream is right peppermint patty who loves peppermint patties So let me just, wait, 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 wait. You can each take one. I bought 20 pounds of peppermint patties, so go ahead. Just take one, just take one. Any kid throughout the, feel free, come on down. So. Who's your favorite preacher now? They're down there, they're down there. Did you get one? Okay, they're right there, go ahead. Okay, so as that's going on, why is money so important? All you parents, you know how to tune this out, it's okay. Why is money so important? I said earlier, I think that there is a significant, actually just go ahead, we'll we'll wait. Just one, just one, I see the just one, yeah. I know, it's the same thing with me. One is good, 50 is better. I totally get it. (laughs) If you were to dig into all of the different teachings of Jesus and money, here's what you would find. It's not about wealth, it's about generosity. Jesus never minded that we had money. In fact, the New and Old Testament have people that have money that are very righteous and people that are poor that are very righteous and then had people that were poor and didn't have money that were, were not righteous at all. Feel free to come up, keep coming, you're fine. But the, the difference is this, is that the Bible speaks loudly not about wealth, but about generosity. We wanna be a people that are marked by generosity. Generosity. We not only want to be generous with our money, we want to be generous with our time, right? We, we want to be a people that are generous with the way we love our neighbor. We want to be generous with the grace we give when, when people miss, mess up. We want to be a people that are marked by generosity, and I think that that is so different than our idea that it's all about money, right? So, so Jesus has a lot to say about that. And, and, and I'll tell you this. They use this old term in the Bible that we don't use a lot of time. It's called a steward. You're called a steward of your money. You're called a steward of your possessions. We're called a steward of every, right, everything. Now, I was in the bank the other day, and a lady came in very upset, and she said, I need to speak to the manager. And and so she spoke to the manager. I think there, there was some issue about they had charged her too much. But the manager, she did not walk into there and say, I need to speak to the owner of the bank. She said, manager, why? Because the ma- manager has every right to do with whatever at his... Uh, you know, at his fingertips with what he has. So the manager of the bank can, can refund you money, they can take care, they can fix some of your problems, right? When, when you have something break and you're not happy with something at a store or a restaurant, you ask to speak to the manager. That's the same word as steward. So I want you to think about that. When in the Bible, when it talks about you're a steward, what, what they're saying is God owns everything, but you're the manager, You have every right to do with the money and just be a good manager of it. And so uh, I just think that that's an amazing thing. So so if God owns everything and we're supposed to manage the resources that he gives us, how do we do that? Well, we're going to dig in this morning to 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 7. So if you want to open up there in the Bible, page 1837, we'll get you there. Um, I'm going to go through 2 Corinthians 9 six through 20. And we're going to look at the five ways that Paul is calling us to give or to manage and to be great stewards. Paul starts with this. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. He's saying this, we should give from the heart, not the head. We should give from the heart, not the head. Now don't read what's not in scripture. Don't go, see Rod, he wants us to be cheerful givers. I'm not cheerful. So I guess I don't have to give. (laughs) I've heard it. But the, but the fact is this that, that he's saying, the head gives from the law. And the heart gives out of grace. We look at sometimes and go, I, it doesn't make sense. You know, with the money that I'm giving to the church, I could do so many different things, right? I mean, I could get new golf clubs, or I could do this or that. I mean, that's a. Ch-. But the heart says, if Jesus died on the cross, I can never repay that. Here's a great example. I am, in in my marriage, I am the head and my wife is the heart. She just, there's an emotional connection that she has with Jesus that that I look at and I'm very in awe of. Um, I always say that, you know, people put up with me, but they really like my wife. She's kind of the heartbeat of our relationship. And I remember there was many years back where I was laid off. And it was tough to make ends meet. I was laid off for about six months. And and I do, was doing the bills then. And so I remember telling her, listen, here's what we're going to do. I'll pay the bills. You pay the church. I just, there was no way I could cut that check. I just, I'm the head. I was like looking at it and I didn't know how it worked. And so, uh, you know, God made it work and we figured out ways to make it work. But but I just, so don't hear, I'm not saying don't think about your giving. I'm just saying there is such a difference when we give from our head and that we give from our heart. We understand what Jesus did. The next thing he's talking about in the the scripture I just read was that we want to give systematically, not sporadically. Kids, if you're getting ready for your allowance, you want it on the day allowance is due. Each of us, we like to get paid on the day payments do, right? We like paychecks that are very systematic. The same thing should be true for our giving, and I would say this. There are many in here probably uh, that are struggling, or or maybe you're new, and you've never had a discipline of giving, and so... um, It's not necessarily about a number. I would say start somewhere, but do it systematically. I think when we give systematically, that all of a sudden we start to build a discipline of generosity in giving into our lives. We don't want to give now and then, you know, when we remember it. We want to do it very systematically. And so I know people say, Rod, you're starting to talk tithing. That's such an Old Testament thing. How come we love to quote the promises of the Old Testament but we really don't like the principles. Man, I have a hope and a future for me, right? Be courageous. Everywhere you put your foot, right? God, it's it's like you're in the valley of dry bones. You're breathing life into me, right? Everything that God had for evil, you do for good. I could go on and on and on, but then we get to the bring your tithe to the storehouse, It's an Old Testament principle. We're so under grace. I agree. I think Jesus did away. He came to fulfill the law. So we're not called to fulfill the law, but he raises the bar with that, right? The the bar is no longer the law. It's grace. How can we stand in front of a bloodstained cross and give anything less than what was required under the law? Jesus has raised it. He has said, everything is mine. And so we go, yeah, but you saw in here, cheerful giving, it doesn't even talk about tithing. Well, let me give you a little snapshot. There were two chests that Paul was talking about. He was talking about the cheerful chest and the necessary chest. Now, now here's what he was saying. The people in Corinth were already giving to the necessary. That was their tithe, right? They were required under the law to give 10%. And in fact. Uh, Many of them were required to give 30%, but I don't wanna get in the weeds with that. But he knew the church in Corinth was giving to the necessary, so he doesn't mention it. We say, well, Paul didn't talk about tithing. He did because it was assumed, yes, they're doing that. He was talking about the cheerful. He was saying, listen, there's a difference between tithes and offerings, and the offerings need to go for the poor, and the people that are hurting, and the people that are broken, and so give there as well, and so I I think we see that stuff, but Paul wasn't mentioning it because it was assumed, so don't take it out of context and go, well, it's not there, we just give whatever. No, there was a deep assumption of what people were giving. The next thing is this that Paul says, that we need to give out of faith, not fear, And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty of leftover to share with others. God is saying, I will provide everything you need and I know you don't understand it. We can sit and argue about the numbers all day long. Is it on the gross? Is it on the net? Is it, and and I don't think that's the point. I think the principle is this. The principle in the Bible has always been give your first and best to God. Start with that, right? I, I think the minute we start to think that God is up there like the IRS keeping a tally sheet of what you give, we have missed the point. The point is that we give our first and best to God. So I'm gonna go back to these chests here and we're gonna talk about how we like to give a lot of times. Not everybody, but there's a pretty standard way uh, that, that we give, And so I I would say this. I brought uh, some more candy. So I brought some Skittles to explain to you how we give. I know Skittles are good. So here's how God says that we should give. He says, I pour out my blessings to you. So first thing you do is you give here, right? make sure that the church is cared for, connected, that the lights are on, that we're doing that. Um, And then he said, you know, if there's something on your heart that maybe the Holy Spirit's laid on your heart, an offering for something, uh, you can give over here. And then look at that. The rest is yours. Here's, Here's actually how we give a lot of times in the church. First of all, we say, well, my cup isn't overflowing. And God, if you would make it overflow, it would be so much easier. I would just give so much more to you, right? I mean... I've prayed those prayers before. But so we go, man, it just doesn't feel like it's full enough. So God, I'm going to have to take care of me first. And then I'll take care of you sometime in there. And so the first thing we do is housing. Housing takes 30%. uh, The average American spends 30% on housing, right? So you you got 30% there. The next one's transportation, cars. Uh, You know, that's about 20%. So you go, well, my car payment... My wife's car payment, um, maybe a little more, uh, you know, take care of me. The, the next thing is, a lot of times, our standard of living really outpaces our income, because we deserve it. We, we deserve to, to live well. We deserve the things, and I know we can't get them right now, but we actually can, because Visa and MasterCard are out there to take care of us. You may not know this, the average American carries $16,000 on credit card debt. And some of you are gasping and others, you're going, yeah, that's no big deal. So uh, we have to pay for those, right? Now, we love food. I talked about that earlier. What do you think the average American spends on eating out, percentage-wise? No, not maybe 30. I know some people who spend 30%, but 6%. The average American spends 6% of your paycheck on eating out. And then, you know, maybe you have a dune buggy. So you have a little entertainment in there. You like to go see movies. 6% on the average is spent uh, for, for going out. And then you go, man, there's not much left. So God, I'll give you a couple. And then, well, the rest is for me. That's just the way we do it a lot of times. Here's how, I, I would say this. We want to give like God gives. And here's how God gives. Here is what the, the standard of giving that God gives. Right? Now, please don't hear me. I am not saying, if you tithe this week, God's going to give you a lot of money. I think he gives in many different ways. I think that there is an amazing way he he gives in so many, whether it's talents, uh, whether it's things, whether it's time. God blesses us in so many ways, and we want to be generous in all the things that he gives. And I know some people say, Rod, I can't Take any and give over here. And I would say this you can't afford it because you're not doing it. The only, if I, if it was not a regular discipline in my life, I would tell you that I could not afford to give. It is just one of those things that that we can't afford. In fact, I had uh, a guy come up to me. I was giving a message on money one time uh, and iPhones were just kind of new out, the iPhone 3. It was just exploding on the scene. And and he said, Rod, I just can't afford to to give. I just, there's nowhere in my budget as he pulls out his iPhone 3 and texts his three kids with iPhone 3s. And sometimes we need to standard, uh, lower our standard of living so we can up our standard of giving. I think sometimes that's just something that we're called to do. Now, we don't like that. We live in America in a consumer-driven, where we play Monopoly. Amass everything as quick as we can. And then it's all disposable, so we throw it away and we get the next new thing. And so sometimes God may be speaking to us in that. Now, I get that, that this can be expensive. My, one of the best things I can tell you is my kids. I love, uh, each of my kids have gotten jobs in their life, uh, and then we get them checking accounts, and we put the money in there, and they get to see their balance, and then I say this. Now you get to tithe. Dad, that's a lot of money. I tell my kids this. 90% of you and God is better than 100% of you alone. And I think that that is so true. I think God is calling us to be a generous people. And it is difficult. I get it. I wish I had it figured out. But I'm telling you, I struggle in this area as much as you do. It's, I just think that there is such a tangible thing about my stuff and, and how valuable I feel when I buy things. and I, There is a connection between how we view and handle our money and our spirituality. The next thing Paul tells us is this. We want to give more, not to get more. In fact, he continues on and says, as the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, He will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. You have always been plan A. The church has always been plan A for the world. And God does it this way. Now, let me say this. I think we we have done this over the years. We've said, well, this thing here, that's the government's job. To take care of people, you know, to make sure they're okay. We'll just let the government do that, and then we'll take care of those two chests. But here's the funny thing, is we say, well, that's the government's job, and then we get angry how they spend our money. What if, imagine a world where the church put the, put the government out of business in caring for people. What? Absolutely, amen. Could you imagine the testimony that that would speak when people were hurting and in trouble and they said, you know what? My first stop, not my last, is the body of believers that are meeting wherever. And I think that that happens a lot of times. That's not just money. I mean, I think when this is a very generous place, And I know we can even be more generous, but I just wanna show you how this looks. A lot of times, God blesses us this way, right? And we say things like this. Well, God blessed me that I'm a good writer. I'm good at writing resumes and I'm good at talking to people. Oh, well, maybe God is calling you to take some of this into the employment network and work with people that aren't as good at that. You know, uh, God didn't maybe bless me with a lot of money, but for some reason he gave me an extra couch. Oh, well, we have women who are coming out of abusive relationships and are hiding and they're they're in places without furniture. So we collect that extra furniture and give it to them right through that ministry. Maybe you go, man, uh, maybe I do have extra money and I want to give it to people who don't have health care. So Salem free clinics, we, we give that way, right? Uh, There's so many different, maybe you go, well, I don't have, but I can make a lunch. Once a week, I can make a lunch. So I make a lunch, and then they give that to the homeless in uh, angels ministry. You see how this works? God is calling us to whatever he has blessed you abundantly with to share. I want to make sure people hear about him in Jordan, Taiwan, right? Louisiana, Mexico, San Francisco, all the different places all over the world in this country. In Salem, right? We want Salem to be a city at peace with God. This is how it works. And so I I just find it amazing when the church comes together and we become generous with the things that we have, this is what it looks like. The last point is this. God wants us to be worshipers. He doesn't, uh, God wants to build worshipers, not build our wealth. I think that's so tough. We think a lot of times that God just wants to build our wealth. God wants you to be a worshiper. Um, In fact, the last scripture says this, so two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The need of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God for your generosity to them, and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. And thank God for this wonderful, this gift, too wonderful for words. We start to become worshipers when we realize we're stewards, that we don't own everything. It's very easy to start to think you own everything. Let me give you a great example. I was going, uh, a daddy-daughter date a few years ago with Lucy. Uh, We go to the movie, I get a big old, you know, tub of popcorn, and we're walking in there. And so she wanted some candy. So it might have been Skittles. It probably was uh, Sour Patch Kids. Uh, she loves those things. I do too. So I got her some Sour Patch Kids. And we sit down and she opens them up and the waft of, you know, vitamin C sour stuff and sweets hits my nose. And I'm like, I need some of those. I said, Hey, Lucy, why don't you give me one of those? She said, No, they're mine. <laughs> they're yours. I just bought them for you. In fact, why don't you be generous with one or two of those? On our way out of here, we could go to Costco and I could fill the car with those for you. How many times do we treat God like that? God gives us something and he blesses us with it and he says, you know what would be great is if you shared that with people. And we say, God, that's mine. What are you investing in? There's lots of things in this world you can invest in. But when we invest in the kingdom, lives get transformed. When we invest in the kingdom, there are marriages that get restored. You may be here. You may be struggling with money. You may not know this. We have a class called Financial Peace University, which I love. teaches people how to deal with money. We see people getting rid of debt and living debt-free lives. And it's amazing. Why? Because people have invested in a place that has lights on, and we invest in the kingdom. When we invest in the kingdom, we see a cross that we can't even see because it's so full of white ribbons. When we invest in the kingdom, we see, like we did last time, 40 people being baptized. When we invest in the kingdom, it's so much more than the here and now. And I would say this, that God wants to build us into a church of worshipers, not just a church of wealthy people. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.